This episode of Boob Sweat is brought to you by Mega Babe. If you didn't already know, I founded my personal care brand, Mega Babe, a few years ago to solve real problems with cute solutions. Even though I founded the brand, I am not qualified to do every single job, which is why I hire wonderful people like our customer service wizard, Britt. I've brought Britt on here to help answer a question. Hi, Britt. Hey, Katie. All right, Britt, go ahead. Bonnie said she's a super sweaty girl, and she asked how we can help with sweat that's showing through her clothes. Bonnie, 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 have I got some answers for you. We have several different solutions, starting with our bus dust, which is a hands-free way to apply our telc-free powder into your bra. You just literally pump it in there. It was the second product that we launched with. We also have our dust puff, which helps making apply powder to your body really easy because it helps with the mess. It also puts the powder on really evenly. Our dust puff is kind of awesome. And if you're not into powder, we actually have a cool product called Magic Powder. I know it says powder in the name, but it's actually a lotion. You apply it in a thin layer and it dries with a powder finish. I put it right under my boobs and sometimes under my butt cheeks. It's awesome. And don't forget, we also have body dust, which is the same great formula as our bus dust, but with a different applicator. So if you're not a fan of the pump, this comes with a sprinkle applicator so you can easily apply it anywhere that you experience sweat throughout the day. Britt, you're right. Body dust, of course, duh. Thank you so much for always knowing more than I do. And for a limited time, I'm offering Boob Sweat listeners 15% off your order at megababeauty.com with the code boobsweat15 at checkout. Now, on to the pod. Bobby knocked on my door. Bobby, let me have to do interview now about making you. Yeah, about special journey to make cutest boy ever. Mommy has to be on a podcast. Big deal. Mommy, very big deal. Very important big deal. Big deal podcast. Big deal. All to make you cutest want to baby. a picture of him in the show notes or what's up? Yeah, I do. That's me and my older sister, Jenny. She had my nephew, baby Bobby, about a year and a half ago, and I'm obsessed with him. I FaceTime him 25 times a day. He doesn't even care anymore, but I make him call me Kiki. My sister calls me Uncle Kiki because she says I look like a guy every time I FaceTime. So now I'm Uncle Kiki to baby Bobby. And I'm one of those people that talks about their their nephew. And no one really cares except for me. Witnessing her fertility journey for the past mm, three, four years has made me definitely think of my own. So on this week's episode, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about IVF. We're going to talk about what it's like to go through the process um, when you think you're not going to have kids after you've given up and then shazam, you're pregnant. We've got some really interesting guests on here to share their experiences. Hi, I'm Katie Storino and this is Boob Sweat. There's a lot of stuff out there that makes us sweat, but don't worry, you're not alone. We're here to talk about it. Now that I'm thinking more and more about having a baby in my life, I wanted more insight on what my own fertility journey would look like. A few years ago, I decided to freeze my eggs, and I'm going to share much more about that experience on a later episode. Also, if you want to know right now, you can go to my my Instagram and on my Instagram highlights, 
I still have my highlight up from when I froze my eggs. So you can check it out and see all the details. But I actually froze my eggs with Dr. Klein from Extend Fertility, who I have on the show today. He is adorable. I love this man. (laughs) You know, there are doctors who don't take their time to like really get into it with you. He is not one of them. He is just like, I don't know. He's he's a baby angel. And I think you're going to like what he has to say about what my fertility future might look like. Dr. Klein, can I ask you, what's the average timeline for a non-assisted conception? Meaning, let me let me ask you more directly. Yeah. How long before a couple should start to quote unquote worry or think, hey, I need to go see someone? Yeah. So one thing I'd say is that the um, the um, kind of hidden uh, underlying structure of fertility is that everything has to do with age. Um, so the answer is going to be different for a woman, a couple, but really it's specifically sensitive to a woman's age. So the rule of thumb is that a woman who is 35 years or younger should uh, try for about um, a year before they need to think about going to a doctor and getting you know, some testing done and, and trying to understand if there's more of an issue going on. A woman between the ages of 35 and 40, six months of trying is appropriate. And for women who are over 40, pretty much as soon as they are ready to uh, consider uh, going to a, a doctor to get, get tested, that would be appropriate. Basically because as women get older, the chance that there's issues there is higher and the time is uh, you know, more of a precious commodity and you don't want to kind of waste too much time before you get checked out. What Dr. Klein said has been repeated in doctor's offices all over, including with my older sister, Jenny. Basically, he drew this graph for me which I I can still see in my brain, but it was a downward arrow (laughs) of how quickly your fertility goes down as you, um, as you become closer to 40. Do we really, do we really need that graph as ladies? (laughs) Like, do we really need that? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not, but it made me act much quicker than I might have, or I might have otherwise acted. So he said, look, how many, kids do you want? I said, well, I ideally I'd like at least two. And he said, I'm not worried about your first child. I think that you could maybe get pregnant by doing an IUI or something. But what I'm worried about is by the time you're ready to start having a second child, you're going to be probably around 40, 41. And your odds of getting pregnant naturally at 40, 41 are not that great. If you look at this, this horrible chart, And essentially what he said is what I would recommend for you is let's not start with an IUI. Let's go straight to IVF. He said, IVF is a process by which, you know, we're going to pump you full of a bunch of hormones and you're going to, (laughs) your ovaries essentially start as almonds and they grow into grapefruits and a ton of follicles within your ovaries. Um, are produced at one time and they go in for the little procedure at the end of the the medicated cycle and pull out as many eggs as they can. And on the same day that they pull those eggs out, then they also harvest the sperm from your husband and they put them together in a, in a lab, (laughs) kind of what you think of in a Petri dish. And they hope that some embryos grow. Um, And you wait about six or seven days while these embryos grow. And it's a pretty horrible cycle because Mm. usually you start with a pretty big number. Like let's say you got 15 eggs and you're like, great, I got 15 eggs. And then they, you get a call 
you know, two days later that said, or one day later that says only seven of them fertilized. Now you're down to seven. And then you get a call. I think it's on day three and they say there's two left. And then the last day they say, you know, this is how many survived. And for me, the numbers were always really low. Um, and then we were going to go through a process of PGS testing. So testing to see if chromosomally the embryos that survived were normal. So by the end, you know, you have anywhere between, for me, zero and one or two embryos left. And um, for as part of my journey, I did not produce a lot of quote unquote normal, chromosomally normal embryos. And so um, we went through this process nine times. Nine um, times. Nine times, which felt like 5,000 times, but it was nine. And I personally, we, my husband and I personally did not make a lot of healthy embryos, unfortunately. And by health, I mean um, chromosomally tested and genetically normal embryos. It took us a while to get the, the numbers that we needed. So after nine times, we had four genetically tested embryos. And the doctor said that for every two embryos, you can expect one live birth. So it's not a guarantee if you have a genetically normal embryo that you're going to get a live birth. So we we got to nine. I was, let's see, 41 years old. This took about two years. We did six Jesus. rounds in Chicago at our original clinic. And then we actually moved on to CCRM, so Colorado Center for Reproductive Medicine and Dr. Schoolcraft in Colorado, because um, in my first six rounds, I got two normal embryos. And then we went over there for three rounds and I got another two normal embryos. Um, and so at the end, I was 41 years old, had gone up and down quite a bit on these hormones and medication and had these four embryos. So we had just finished our ninth cycle. And I, my husband and I were talking about if we needed to do another cycle because, you know, you just never know. I'm getting older and you never know if the embryos are going to take once you put them in. And it was um, early February and I decided to go to a reproductive immunologist, which is like another person that helps look at other aspects of your body to see if, if there is other things that you can do um, to help your fertility, like looking at your thyroid, your immune system, things like that. I remember that appointment was in early February. I think it was February 4th. And they ran a panel of like, they took 21 tubes of blood. You know, I was there for Jesus. six hours. They ran all these tests. And I asked the doctor, it's a really um, great woman who's located in Chicago. I asked her, I said, I have four embryos. Do you think I can, I can have two kids? And she said, no, I really don't. And I remember the drive home after this big, long day of testing. I cried almost the whole way home because I thought, I can't, I can't imagine this journey has gone on for so long and it's been so hard and all I want is a baby. And, you know, this, this expert in the field said, I don't think you can have two kids with these four embryos. Like, what am I going to do? And I was trying to think of life, you know, without children. And, and, and it just, it just was really hard. And I got home um, from that appointment. Sorry, this is taking so long, but I got home from that appointment and 
I was sitting on the couch um, doing some work. I'd worked from home that day because I had this appointment and I got a phone call from the lab and they said, oh, we already have some of your Wait, 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 wait. And wait. she said, yes. wait, you're cutting out. You're cutting oh. out. Okay. You said you got, you got home from the lab and you were sitting on the couch working. So I, I got home from the lab, maybe two hours later, I was sitting on the couch working um, because I'd worked from home that day because I'd been at the doctor for so long and the phone rang and it was the um, doctor who had called to say, I got some of your results back today. You're pregnant. And I remember that moment so vividly. <laughs> um, I burst out crying. I think that um, my husband, Eric, was in the room. He thought I had cancer, basically, because <laughs> I was crying hysterically and I, and I couldn't talk. And, um, and so we ended up after nine rounds of IVF and, and almost never... <laughs> Um, being able to produce normal embryos, getting pregnant naturally. And we had baby Bobby. And we did. And the whole and pregnancy, I, love that guy I think so I was, much. I was so worried about losing this pregnancy because you just, you after going through the this process, you just don't think it could happen to you. You don't think you could be lucky enough to have a child, especially when, you know, experts in the field are saying it's not looking great for you. So, um, we had a healthy baby boy and he is He's my best. favorite baby. <laughs> Half the women in my life have had assistance getting pregnant, but that's because they've been focusing on their career for so long or have gotten older and need the support when they start to try. I definitely identify with the aspect of having your career be your priority versus even the thought of having a baby. I think that's why I froze my eggs because I, I knew I still wasn't ready to deal with the idea of getting pregnant and People like Bobby Thomas, the style editor at the Today Show, my friend who put her career in the front seat for so long, and now after having a baby has some very interesting insights. I was really open in terms of collecting younger girls and interns and would preach like, you can play with boys later. Like, this yeah. is your moment. And really busted some girls, <laughs> busted their balls, should we say, <laughs> about like, what are you doing? It's a one night stand, whatever. Yeah. Who cares? Like, yeah. let's move on. And I have to say, I never imagined in my lifetime that I would find myself sort of feeling bad about giving that advice so strongly to girls that looked up to me. Because the one thing I've learned, and I really wish I could go back and edit my advice you have to plan for both your professional life, but also your personal life. Wow. And that is not something we feel like we have the luxury to do as women. No. We have to fight so hard to stay in the game. I wanted to say something that um, I guess I never say out loud, which is something that you just said, which is it's interesting. I Even though pregnancy and motherhood is like the hardest fucking shit, Why? Do I view it or have I viewed it as a self-weakness? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be viewed as, like, I don't want to, I, there's something vulnerable in it. How, how sad is that? It makes yeah. me get, it makes me want to cry because I think that it's one of the things I am so proud of. Yeah. The fact that I willed this being into the world. And when I hug him at night, no matter how hard it is, because there are still days that the part of me that was content being single yeah. misses my, you know, that selfish part of me. That's yes. like, wow, my time and exploring and spreading my wings. And I have sacrificed and given up so much to be his mother. I am 
so proud of that. It's the stuff that people don't see on social. They won't see it on a segment on today and they won't hear it on a podcast, but sharing my values with this human being and looking at how sweet he is. And when he says to somebody else, are you okay? That's everything. And there are so many women, millions of women beyond us doing this every day for no glory. No. And that it's even considered weak, that it's considered a weak option to choose. And it is something that I will forever be a, an advocate for, a warrior about, like the unsung moments of moms. But I do think there's this weird momentum in our generation to be independent, selfish, you know, whatnot. And girls are not given the backing to say, wait a minute, my personal life is just as important. And mentors, you know, you go to mentors to tell you how, you know, don't cry in the office, go outside and lean in. And all these amazing things we hear yeah. from the like, oh, how dare you look at them and say, but wait a minute, you know, my vagina is kind of important. And I really do want to figure out how I could have both if that's important to you. I mean, after all, we have to procreate, right? Can, can you have both? <laughs> Look, this is something I go back and forth all the time. I was really privileged. I was lucky that what I did for a living, and I, don't, I won't lie about this. It is really important for me to be honest. The fact that I was able to, my work platform embraced my journey and allowed mm -hmm. me to report on that. I don't know how I could have done segments on lipstick and, you know, fashion week and all of these things had they not built in to my work, mm -hmm. the journey that I was going on. I mean, yes, I was really lucky that sharing my story helped others and really worked in that moment. And that allowed me to stay visible in our, mm -hmm. in our profession. I'm very, very comfortable owning that. Um, and the millions of women that watched or sent messages, I mean, on Facebook, I'm talking thousands. I, yeah. I wish I could go to each and every one of them and give them a hug because there were nights that I would go through them when I just wanted to cry and give it all up. At five weeks pregnant, I told people on national TV and I, had, I was wow. scared to death. I didn't know if this was going to stick, if the baby was going to be okay or healthy. I had no idea what I was doing. And I just took a leap. And I thought, you know what? If anything does go wrong, how could... I go wrong with having all of these women have my back. Then yeah. I'll, I'll work through that oh, then. You know, it's really good. It's like you think about why. That's a different way to look at it. Why and I should like I it. be embarrassed? Because yeah. everything is about shame in our world. You know, it's like shame for the shame for that. But in that moment, it was, I, my husband was so upset to this day. He will recall that morning and everybody off camera is like, he's like, no, I support her. I will be here for her. But I 100% am not okay with this. He said that to the producer and everybody. Mm -hmm. My whole team was like, ooh, how is this going to work? And I just looked at him. I'm like, I have to do this. I felt like it was really important for people to know that no more whispers. I was whispering <gasps> in the hallway. And that's what started this. I actually wrote an essay. It's like, no more whispers. I'm doing IVF and, you know, the F word, fertility. And I wrote about it. And we couldn't believe the response we got on today.com. So the ladies were like, yeah, we would love for you to share it if you're comfortable with it. The executive producer called me and said, would you be willing to share this journey? And yep, that meant a camera inside egg retrieval day in the room. <laughs> Not the best. No most way. Oh, yeah. It's all online. You can find oh, pictures. Oh, I am going to look this up. I brought people in with me. And I, to this day, I should have brought it with me. It's in a book I saved for miles, but um, 
the retrieval that actually worked for miles, funny enough, because I went through many. Um, it was the day I had a crew there and it was just so hard because it's like, okay, we need to capture this. And Michael was really upset that I was doing this. And you mm. can imagine I'm supposed to be calm. Like, don't stress about it. Your body has to be fine. Everybody mm -hmm. tells you, just calm down. Mm -hmm. It's not good for you to be stressed. Um, and he felt bad, but he just wanted to protect me yeah. is what he says. And the nurse saw how upset I was because I thought, gosh, am I really upsetting him? Am I doing the wrong thing? You know, I was so emotional from all the hormones going through Ugh. me. And she didn't say much. She crinkled up a little piece of paper and stuck it in my hand. And she wrote, you are doing something amazing. And to this day, when Miles goes through his book and I show him, he's like, what's that? And it fell out. I'm like, this is a really important piece of paper because that nurse made me feel with this, you're doing something amazing. It was four words. I took a deep breath and I thought somebody else who's watching this all go down is just saying, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I shared and I just, that piece of paper, I held it in my hand when I went on set and I have it to wow. this day. And that one stranger, just like you, when you share your story, Katie, or women listening that tell somebody else about this podcast, because you don't need to be in front of a camera or a microphone to be powerful. And my whole career has been about wanting women to know how powerful you can be with your own girlfriends. And it's why I came up with the term professional girlfriend. And I wanted women to know how powerful you can be to others. And it was, it was a really tough journey, but I was lucky. And you know what? I will never forget it. I mean, I tried it all. <laughs> and I told women that I tried it all because I didn't want them to think that I just had some easy overnight miracle. Yeah. Because if you're not committed to the process of IVF, you need to really reconsider. If you do choose to do IVF, the hormones are no joke. They are no joke. I know it from firsthand experience uh, when I had to freeze my eggs, getting those injections and just feeling the, I don't know, every, every emotion is amplified. Um, and then also dealing with people in my life who have been on the hormones and just how crazy it can make you. Uh, Rita Hazan, colorist to the stars, including myself. I'm not a star. It was a joke. Um, and Jessica Simpson, who everyone knows I'm obsessed with because of her book. Um, if you haven't read it, go get an audible right now. Anyway, Rita Hazan had some really funny and interesting insights into how the hormones affected her on a day-to-day -day basis. I did, the, I did three rounds of IVF. Okay. And it did not work for me at all. I also am probably not opposed to child from the IVF because I think that it's very hard on the body. Yeah. And it's almost like you get, you make a woman, they make women feel guilty about everything. Like one more time, one more shot, just do one more time. So you like in this cycle of like, first of all, you're hormonal, like to the max, and if it works, great. If it doesn't work, then you're just like, you're like an addict. One more time. Just one more time. Yeah. One more time. And before you know it, it's like three years pass by and you're still doing this and nothing happens. That, uh, did, did you do it for three years? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, but it's not funny because I have a lot of clients yeah. who have been doing it for years and years and years. <laughs> I think it was just making me a little crazy, you know? And I'm like this, I have to run a business. I'm a colorist. I travel. And I have to run a business like you can't do that unstable and be successful. I know. So yeah. it, is, it is hard and you can't be stable and be on so much hormones. I because know. Because again, 
they pumped me so hard, so fast with all these hormones because I was in my 40s. And I'm like, okay, this is not working for me. And I had a conversation with my husband. I'm like, listen, I get you want to have a baby, but I can't do it this way. I'm like, this is not my thing. It's too much for me. I need to breathe. I need out. And I need like to just stop, get off the roller coaster because one more time is not going to help. Yeah. And then, so he, how did he take that? He was. I mean, you know, he wants a baby. Yeah. He wants a baby. And most women want to please their husbands. And I get that. And I'm a feminist and I'm a strong woman. And I don't, I'm, I'm yes, you are. all those things that like, I was 41. I mean, I don't need a man. Yeah. I don't need a man's money. I don't need a dinner. I don't need, I, you know, so for me, it was like, I get that you want to have a baby, but this is my body. This is my life. Yeah. It's my livelihood. Like I have to take care of myself and I ha- you have to recognize as a female that you're in control and the doctors could say whatever they want, because again, it's a business for them. Mm-hmm. You have to think of it that way. If you leave, yes, somebody else is going to take your place, but you're still, they're still money to be had from you and your guilt. Yeah. Just one more round. This time you only got a few eggs. Do one more round. You might try again. You know, and the medication is expensive Very, as hell. Yep. The time consuming is like it, it's insane. a it's a it's a full time job that you're running in addition to your regular. I know that my sister has done nine rounds of IVF and nine. nine. She did nine and then she Ooh. got pregnant during the break between her ninth and tenth round. Right. And they want to tell baby. you that it's it's like um, it's because the medication is still inside you. You know, that's why you're still like hormonal. I don't believe that because I hadn't done anything for two years. Yeah. I was feeling so crappy. I think all those medications made me like insane. Yeah. They made me crazy. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel like myself. I had all this weight gain, but it wasn't weight. It was like bloated and hormonal and it wasn't. So I just went on this like crazy vegan diet for like, it was not healthy. I'll tell you that. But I was so (laughs) sick of myself. That I was like, I need this out of my system. Yeah. So I only ate fruits and vegetables, but didn't grow. I didn't even eat protein. I didn't do this right at all. I should have consulted a doctor, (laughs) but I had just had enough. Okay. And I finally got it all out of my system. And I had a conversation with my husband because between him, my mother, my sister, all my clients, like go, go see a doctor, go see a doctor. And I was like, honestly, I don't want to see a doctor anymore because... I don't want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. All they say is you're old. You started you're not the feeling point. like trustworthy of doctors. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I get it. Right. I'm 40. But yeah. like, okay, I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't like, you know, prepare myself properly and freeze my eggs and whatever. Yeah. Wait, so you're, so you, you've kind of like taken your body back. Yes. And then yes. what happened? I got pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Plus everybody told me it was like, in the like I'm about to have like start menopause so I didn't get my period and I thought okay this is it I'm here but then like really I missed my entire first trimester because I thought I was in the middle of menopause but I was pregnant this is a this is like um that this is like uh father of the bride too (laughs) but like with Diane how old are you 45. You're 45. Was Diane Keaton 45 in that movie? I don't even, I don't know. I need to go back and look. But this, I don't know. yeah. 
So so there you are. You're not even trying. And no. you just, how did you find out? You know, this was the thing. I was like so sick of everybody putting pressure on me. Yeah. And I was pu- putting pressure on myself too. Yes. I finally said, that's it. If it's meant to happen, it will happen. If God wants me to have a baby, I will have a baby. If the yeah. universe, whatever God is, yes. if it's meant for you in the cards, it'll happen. And I had to convince my husband, my sister, my friend, like, leave me alone, back off. I'm comfortable as I am. Yeah. I'm happy. And if it comes, it comes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And we'll all be happy and we'll live a, a happy life. You know, it is, it is what it is. You know, you're supposed to get what you're supposed to get. Doesn't matter if I go to the best doctor on the planet. If it's not meant for me, it's not going to happen. And I'm not going to abuse myself because yeah. I want something to happen. It doesn't yeah. work like that, yeah. you know? So I finally got everybody off my back. And I said, okay, let's review this in six to eight months. Yeah. If nothing happens, and we'll see where we are. But it's you didn't like, even have any problems your first trimester. You didn't even... Have any signs? No and- symptoms. Nothing. Wow. I was not sick. I didn't feel weird. I wasn't like any... And nothing. And nothing. I went to work. I traveled. I ate. We were drinking. We went on vacation. <laughs> I mean, we did everything I was probably not supposed to do in your first trimester. And um, thank God. I'm like five months now and everything is like healthy. Knock on wood. Thank God. Wow. But, you know, I think for me... You just have to, and you hear it. First of all, I'm a colorist. So I have like tons of women clients. Yeah. And in the last, like, I've only told, started to tell people because it's shock for me too. You yeah. Know, I'm like, yeah. I thought I was menopausal, but I was pregnant. And so many women are like, no, I had my kids when in my 40s. I'm like, how is this possible? What? They told me it's impossible. And this is very rare. But now I see like many people, like in the last three weeks, I would say 10 women told me that they had multiple children in their 40s. So it's not... Without fertility. Without fertility. Yeah. It's not unheard of. It's not impossible. And even outside of those factors, health is a huge thing. And there's stuff going on in our bodies that's fully outside of our control. Here's Dr. Klein again. There's a lot of ways that things kind of go off the rails, that the egg is not a healthy one is a common one or that the sperm are not in the right place at the right time, or that the particular sperm that fertilizes the egg was not a healthy one, or even after the egg is fertilized that it doesn't implant properly. And so because there's so many steps that are required for healthy pregnancy, if any one is missing, then it's not going to work. And so it's actually not so simple to get everything to line up all at the right time in the right place. It's a miracle anyone has any children. (laughs) To some extent, that's right. It really, really is. Um, I think that in general, miscarriages are something that people until relatively recently just mostly didn't talk about at all. Right. Generally, like not something that was, you know, uttered out loud. Um, But miscarriages are super common. So about one quarter of all conceptions, and that's our best guess, because not every miscarriage is like reported to a doctor necessarily, but about one quarter of all pregnancies end in a miscarriage. And so like, you're talking about something that happens, you know, all the time. Right. Um, and it shouldn't be obviously something that people feel you know guilty or bad or uh, somehow weird about. But culturally, that has been the way the way it's been. And so, I think the more we destigmatize the idea of miscarriage, yeah, the less people need to worry that if they do share their pregnancy early on, that they're gonna yeah. then have to kind of like walk that back somehow yeah. in a way that's comfortable. Kristen Hodgen is the founder of the Fertility Tribe. 
It's an online community that shares stories all about different fertility journeys. She shared how aspects of her own journey were outside of her control. I actually came off the birth control pill when I was newly married and never got my cycle back. How old were you? 27. Um, So I really, we weren't really necessarily ready to start trying yet, but, um, you know, I just wanted to get the pill. I had been on the pill for 11 years. Sure. I wanted to get out of my system and kind of like kickstart my body back into gear and that never happened. And um, I had had irregular periods prior to going on the pill, but then, you know, the doctors just say, go on the pill and slap a bandaid on it. And, and then, um, and then, you know, sure enough, I had the same issue when I came off of it. And then it was kind of like a snowball effect because I went to my OB and she said, um, you know, you, if you don't ovulate, you can't get pregnant, like go figure. (laughs) So there's no way if you started trying, there's no way it would happen because it would be like a needle in a haystack trying to figure out like when you were ovulating. So she actually referred me right to a fertility doctor. One in eight couples struggle with infertility, which is a very staggering statistic. Um, I feel like most people I know literally, I don't, I, the, the um the rarity for me is someone who just like got pregnant. Like yeah. that's that's like the minority of people I know. Which is scary too, because you're like, well, what am I doing that or what's in the environment or what am I right. using? You know, well, it's I just, think it's also a lot of my friends waited, just have waited. Yeah, that's true. I don't have a lot of friends who have like who who had kids at like in their twenties. Fertility is expensive and it can sound really privileged to just say, freeze your eggs, get IVF. But Dr. Klein shared how some places are helping you with those costs. Infertility costs or fertility treatment costs in general are general. Like the rule of thumb is everything's expensive. Unfortunately, yeah, that's it reality. is um, between the doctors and the lab stuff and then the medications and it just everything's expensive. So um, thankfully, more and more people, but still it's only a minority, but more and more people will have some degree of uh, insurance coverage if they have some kind of commercial insurance. So that's part one is that. Make sure you maximize uh, what your insurance is willing to pay for. You're yeah. paying for that insurance, and that's that's what it's there for is to be used. So don't leave that stone unturned. And most clinics will have like an insurance person to help you figure out what your benefits are and make sure that you're maximizing your coverage, both for the doctor part and also for the pharmacy, for the medications. That's one. Two is that some employers, some more progressive employers, are um, buying into this idea of having a standalone fertility benefit. So there's a couple of companies that specialize in managing fertility benefits. And so even if like you have, I don't know, like Blue Cross or, or Aetna or one of these uh, general commercial insurers, who, and you, if you don't have insur- um, infertility coverage, sometimes there'll be like a stand-in, standalone insur- uh, fertility benefit that the employer may have purchased that will cover a lot of fertility. And this is not something when you go to your gyno and you're 27 years old, your gyno isn't going to necessarily just talk to you about fertility. So it's really on you, right? To ask the question. Yeah, there's no there's no kind of guidelines for the OBGYNs on the front lines of just well woman care to know uh, or to sort of have the obligation at some point to say, hey, you know, let's let's talk about your plans for, for children. So that, that's right. Unfortunately, right now, it's like if you're not proactive about it, um, uh, your OBGYNs are probably not going to raise it if they ever do, not till you're in your late 30s, which going back to the other side of the question, your late 30s are not, uh, you know, a disaster. But um, and, and for many women, you can actually do very well when it comes to egg freezing, even in your late 30s or even in your 40s. But it's certainly easy to say that it's a little bit suboptimal from an age perspective if you're starting the conversation uh, when you're in your late 30s or 40s. So uh, proactive inquiry and proactive testing is definitely something that we strongly encourage. 
Um, and uh, yeah, don't, you know, there are a lot of great OBGYNs out there and some of them will mention it, but certainly um, not all of them will, even good OBGYNs. And so the, you know, kind of taking this on your own is I think what the best. It's, you got to take control of your own fertility journey, yeah. which we have not been taught to do, but I think we are starting to. With all of this on the table, where does it leave me? I don't know. <laughs> I I had my IUD taken out about four months ago. Um, I'm not pregnant. I feel like I'm not very discouraged. I'm not very encouraged. I just kind of feel like, okay, well, let's just keep seeing what happens. And um, I have this deep fear. I don't want pregnancy and fertility to, to start to consume me emotionally. And after taking my IUD out four months ago and trying, I, first of all, just like any person, any woman on the planet, I think feels like the first month that you do that, that you're going to get pregnant because that's, I think, what you've been running from your whole life is the fear of getting pregnant. So it's a very funny emotion to then like be like, wait, I, wait, I didn't just get pregnant. Um, and now four months in, I know that that's really normal. Um, and it's like within the average timeline and I don't know, but it's hard not to feel like, what, what's wrong with me? Like, why didn't my body just do this? So I'm entering into a whole new phase of body acceptance, body understanding, um, weird feelings about my body, um, blame cycles, like, well, why, you know, why isn't this happening? Is this, what did I do? So it's a very, it's a very emotional time. And I guess personally, I'm trying to just block it out. Good thing we're in a global pandemic, nothing to distract you, like, <laughs> like the entire world uh, being in a crisis. But after hearing everyone's experiences and all this stuff that they had to go through, it's like, is it worth it for me? If you asked any of the women that we had on the show today, it's obviously it was worth it for them. They love their kids. And I love baby Bobby so much. Like, I don't know if that's that if having a kid is as important to me as, as it is to other people. Um, so we're taking it month by month and we'll see what happens, but never say never. You, you obviously don't know where you're going until you're there. <laughs> I don't know if that even makes sense, but, um, but right now I'll just take it a day at a time. That's it for this episode of Boob Sweat. I want to thank my guests for coming on. You can find where to follow them down in the show notes. If you like the show, please, please rate and review wherever you listen because that shit is important. This show is produced by Wonder Wheel Media with help from Madison Higley. Oh, and thanks for my dogs who are always snoring in the background and trying to ruin the show. You can follow me at Katie Storino on Instagram and join the Boob Sweat Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This podcast is over.